Amen and amen. Thank you, worship team. Please be seated. Yeah, my name is Chris Estes, and uh, I lead the Pioneer Group here at the church. I'm also going to be the intern for the church starting April or starting August the 15th through the end of the year. So the world's oldest intern will be starting here next month. And uh, I serve also as recovery pastor around the community. And uh, this is my friend Adam Schindler. And uh, we had Ryan Jacobson was supposed to preach this week, but uh, unfortunately he's ill. And uh, it started with some sort of upper respiratory thing and kind of now the doctor's saying it's some sort of virus and he had to go to the hospital, had a real high fever. He's getting better, but it's slow. So um, we found that out on Tuesday. And David McNiskey, he's out of town. Dinah's preaching in the sanctuary. Daryl's preaching over at St. Andrews. And so we had to go to the D-League team in Austin to bring me in. So that's, how, that's what happened here today. So uh, anyway, what we did and what we decided to do was, uh, instead of me standing here giving a sermon, that we would do our rolling communal midrash, which we did about a month ago or two months ago with Daryl and Ryan and I. It's a style of teaching that we incorporate every Wednesday at Haven for Hope. And uh, there's some information about that on the back here. Well, let me just read this, what I've written. said, so this morning at New Heights, instead of hearing a traditional sermon, we're going to engage in rolling communal midrash. On the back page of the handout explains exactly what rolling communal midrash is. But the bottom line is that we're going to be turning the lights on, which we did, and participating in a dialogue rather than hearing a sermon. You don't have to speak if you don't want to. You can certainly just listen. But there will be opportunities for asking questions and sharing personal experiences for those who want to participate. So the way we do this is, put this down, we take the sheet, somebody volunteers to read a couple of the paragraphs, and I'll, you know, we'll acknowledge you, and then we'll hand you the mic. And something that I like to do is have whoever's going to speak to introduce themselves. And the reason I do that, and the reason we do that and like that is, first of all, so I can remember your name, or maybe hear it for the first time even. Um, and then also, you know, there, there's a real barrier to entry into community, it seems. Have you ever not talked to somebody because you don't know their name, right? I know that I do. So, you know, I just feel like that that's a good way to um, get to know each other better, for one thing, and to develop community better and relationship. And... Uh, so that's, you know, that's why we do it. And the other reason is this, is if you state your name, um, all of a sudden what you're saying isn't just an idea. It's, it's a, you're a person, right? You're not just the idea that you're uh, sharing with everybody. You are a person. It kind of personalizes it. Then there's another part to this that Adam's going to explain. And then if you, uh, if you want to say the name back to the person that has stood up to say their name, the reason we do this is that, I mean, this is a church community, and I can't tell you how many times I've avoided conversations because I don't know somebody's name, um, real sort of transparently here. I sold cars when I got out of high school for a couple of years, and they told us that within the first minute we had to repeat the name five times, otherwise we'd forget it. So it's a real basic way to, hey, you could use this opportunity to be intentional about knowing and learning people's names here in the community. So if you want to speak back the name of the person and say, hi, my name is Adam, and y'all can say, hi, Adam. Um, Ah, thank you. I had just made a new friend. I don't know where you are. Oh, hi, Justin's mom. Um, 
So that's the reason that we do that, and we invite you to do that if you would like to participate in that. Yeah, you're free to or not to. That's fine. All right? So are we ready to go? Ready to go? Father, we just come in the name of Jesus. We ask that you just uh, shine the light on your word here and uh, help us to hear you through the commentary of our brothers and sisters here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, rolling communal midrash. There are no prerequisites, and we need you to be you. Who would like to read the scripture out loud? And we'll hand you the microphone. Who would like to do that? And um, we need volunteers. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I'm Shelby Johnson. Hi, Shelby. (laughs) This is the overriding rule. Everyone should conduct their lives as the Lord appointed, as God has called them. This is what I lay down in all the churches. If someone was circumcised when he was called, he shouldn't try to to remove the marks. If someone was uncircumcised when he was called, he shouldn't get circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is keeping God's commandments. Everyone should stay within the calling they had when they were called. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't worry about it. But if you get the chance of freedom, seize it. The one who is in the Lord and called as a slave is the Lord's freed man. Just as the one who is called as a free person is the Messiah's slave. You were bought at a high price. Don't become the slaves of human beings. So, brothers and sisters, let each person remain before God in the state in which they were called. 1 Corinthians 7, 17-24. Thank you, Shelby. We'll come back to you in a minute for your comments. All right. Good. All right. Who would like to read the next five paragraphs? It ends with the paragraph that says Paul seems to be making a larger point here. Who would like to read that aloud? Somebody over there. Adam, just pick somebody, Adam. Pick someone. And there you go. Hi, I'm Leslie. Hi, Leslie. So all of Galatians? No, it says one of the dangers in examining. Start there. Okay. One of the dangers in examining a smaller piece of Paul's letter to his friends in Corinth, instead of reading the whole thing, is that we can easily lose the thread of where Paul is going. This passage looks as though it's about two things, circumcision on the one hand and slavery on the other. But why is Paul talking about circumcision and slavery here, in the middle of a section on marriage and sex? We have to pull back and look at the larger picture. Where is that thread that connects what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Corinth? If we pull back, we can notice that Paul repeats the same idea three times within this passage. Don't change the status you had when you answered the call to follow Jesus. If we pull back even further, we might notice that this isn't the only occasion that Paul makes such a statement. In Christ's church family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. One more paragraph there. Paul seems to have a larger point to make a point that claims the divisions we make along social, cultural, ethnic, and gender lines are irrelevant compared to the new life we are all offered in Jesus. Thank you, Leslie. Beautiful. Yeah, John Wesley has a great quote, and uh, I wish I had a powdered wig I could put on uh, to say this quote, but it goes like this. There is only one condition previously required of those who desire admission into these societies, a desire to flee from the wrath to come. And to be saved from their sins. That's a very Wesleyan quote, isn't it? 
Yeah. And uh, Paul's saying there are no prerequisites here. And let's not change our status when we get here as well. So w- would you like to share, Shelby? Do you have anything that you'd like to uh, comment on? Anything that you would like to about the passage or about coming to Jesus or coming to this church or anything along those lines? I think a lot of the community or our society puts a lot of the technicalities on faith or anything in life, really, and they don't truly understand why we we were each called to do the things that we're supposed to do. And it's whatever that you were called. It's a personal thing with God. It's it's not for the whole world to really realize. It's for you. I think that's kind of what I was getting. How about you, Leslie? you have anything you'd like to, to share with us? Illuminate the eyes of our understanding. It's just been in my experience that as a culture, um, as a group, we try to compartmentalize people to be able to like, say something larger about groups of people. And that's how we stereotype people by, like he says, well, like this explanation here, social, cultural, ethnic, and gender lines. And we do that to just try to make sense of things, but in trying to do that, we really limit ourselves and our abilities um, to love all people or to have relationships with all people. So, Those lines do seem to help us somewhat uh, make sense of a chaotic world, right? I mean... We can say, oh, well, this is happening because you're in this group or this group, or you're acting this way because of this particular cultural standard. You're a believer in this sort of God or this sort of thing. I mean, can you all see that, that, these, that these things exist because they work? Does that make sense? At least in some capacity, they may not be the best. They're certainly from this passage, not God's plans for us. But do you see how they function in society? I think one of the keys here to looking at this is that these divisions don't mean nothing. They do mean something, right? Because we can say, you're this, you're this, you're this. That does help us categorize a chaotic world. But ultimately, it's not helpful to us. And what this passage is saying is that these things don't mean anything compared to Jesus. And it's that comparison piece that I think that we really need to grab onto is that unless we have the kingdom of heaven and know Jesus to compare all these things to, we can't look at a Jew, a non-Jew, a Muslim, or a Christian and see anything besides just that division. But if we know Jesus in the kingdom, that's what gives us the opportunity to start breaking those barriers down. Does that make sense? It's the comparison that gives us perspective, the comparison to Jesus. Good word, Adam. Thank you. All right, who'd like to read next? Ben, thanks. Uh, hi, I'm Ben. I'm Ben. Start at the scripture quote on the next page. Oh, go 1 Corinthians 7. Okay, right. 1 Corinthians 7 is all about how male and female should work out in the Christian community. To drive this point home, Paul carefully chooses two divisions common to his time, Jew and Greek, and slave and free. These are not just random choices Paul makes to illustrate his point. Paul chooses barriers that ran throughout the entire ancient world. To Paul's audience, 
The Jew and Greek barrier was incredibly important. Jews viewed the world as full of those who were Jewish and those who were not Greeks. Greeks viewed the world as those who were Greek and barbarians, everyone who wasn't Greek, which included the Jews. In Paul's day, Jewish men were under pressure to pretend that they were not Jewish in order to gain acceptance in Greek society. Some even tried surgery to make it look as though they were not circumcised. Similarly, early non-Jewish converts to Christianity faced enormous pressure to be circumcised in order to truly be a part of the faith. Talk about commitment. Paul sweeps aside these social and cultural pressures with a wonderful statement. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is keeping God's commandments. Thank you, Ben. Just hold your thought there. We'll read this next section, and then we will look for you to explain all this to us. All right? No pressure. Good. All right. Who'd like to share next? Good morning. I'm Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. Um, Matt Russell, a Methodist pastor in Houston and a professor of recovery ministries at Fuller Theological Seminary, helped to found Mercy Street at Chapelwood United Methodist Church. Mercy Street is a safe harbor for the hurt, the lost, and the seeking. It is an authentic community of grace that worships in a come-as-you-are environment, an environment built on the principle Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 7. Just as Paul urged his audience to abandon all social and cultural divisions for those pursuing a relationship with Christ, Reverend Russell calls the today's church to the same divine level of acceptance. For the church to stand in solidarity with the world that God loves and gave himself to, it must be willing to commit itself to those who walk through its doors. Not merely as souls to save, but as treasured companions, teachers, friends, and guides. It must be willing to descend to the same depths that Jesus has, to elicit fixed and final affirmations of faith as the only door by which people can belong, creates an exclusive space that Christ himself did not and will not inhabit. Would you read through the questions? Yes, I will. Are we willing to do that? Are we committed to fully embracing anyone who walks through our doors as treasured companions, teachers, friends, and guides without any standards? What if they don't fit in? What if they don't look like us, act like us, think like us? What if they haven't been baptized? What if they haven't been through the membership class or don't know the Lord's Prayer? Paul says there are no prerequisites. Those who seek deserve access and relationship, period. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, our third tradition in Alcoholics Anonymous is the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, for instance. You know, I mean, there's no hoops to jump through. I mean, that, that's it. That's it. And... Uh, here you go, Ben. Cool. So just responding. I, had a quick, I was here the last time we did this, too. Um, is it appropriate to ask questions, too, in the, in the mic part? Okay. 
Um, not that I have an amazing one. I was just curious. That was my question about question. Um, the part that I read, maybe the the one thing I kind of spiral back to the uh, the First Corinthians seven nineteen uh, passage: circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing. I couldn't help but think of um, Ecclesiastes. Uh, you know, all of this is vapor. All of this is vanity. You know, kind of that theme of just hey, chill out. Um, and then um, maybe something uh, earlier that that I uh, was processing as we were reading is just. Um, this whole passage seems to be about relationship and um, in kind of the take a breath, this, this, don't get too uh, invested in this kind of tribal, uh, we're, we're this, you know, we're, we're the, the, the Jew-Greek thing. Um, just with relationships, and I guess in particular since this, what it said earlier, you know, is, is in a larger context with marriage and things like that. Um, I appreciated my marriage that, it is a, a dynamic relationship, and it, we are, you know, two people moving uh, forward and being kind of, you know, casting forward. And so, um, I think it's important uh, in all of this, as we're coming in, and, and we have this theme of equality, and you know, we're, whatever your past is, you're coming in. That's not just a, and we lived happily ever after. That there's still work, and there's still you know, you're changing and you're trying to figure out your relationship with God. And the person I think as a church, it's like that too. And that's a good thing. Um. Beautiful. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, and kind of the reality of human culture is that we, we create these statuses. We create these divisions and categories. Sometimes the categories can turn into things that divide us. Um, but sort of like the invitation in your marriage isn't to just like, be married to someone who agrees with you or that you even really understand any of the time. Like there's a higher value in relationship than understanding and agreeing. Like there's a value to be called into covenant relationship. And so what Paul seems like he's doing here in these passages, is he's calling us up out of the human value system that elevates categories and status, liberal and conservative, Jew and Greek. He's calling us to have a higher value than just the human earthly values that get given to us by culture, by society. And he's saying, look, all that stuff means nothing compared to knowing Jesus. And the invitation into relationship is the invitation to accepting God's higher value for intimacy, connection, and love in him. Which means sometimes we have to let go of the quote-unquote lower values, if you like the higher-lower metaphor, but the values of this world that say it's only this or this. Okay, Jennifer. There's some really sharp people in here, and I'm just going to speak from the heart, and I'm not going to sound like you guys are really up there, but it says it's okay. I think what's striking me um, in the passage that I read you know, it talks about who are we willing to embrace anyone who walks through our doors. I looked around the room here, and I'm not, I'm just stating an it's evident. There's not a lot of differentness in this room. And so I guess the question comes to my mind, yeah, it's easy to love someone that looks like you, that goes to the same church, this church, New Heights, I think, and I don't know, I wasn't here, but was founded to welcome people who may not feel comfortable in our sanctuary, in, our, in, in that environment. So what are we doing 
in our daily lives to welcome people who aren't like us into this church? That's just a question, and I have to ask that of myself as well. Anybody else want to share? All right. Well, let's read some more then. Let's, we, had, uh, we, had, we had one. Oh, we do. Okay, please. Uh, Jennifer, right? I'm sorry. No, no. My name is Nick. I just wanted to get her name right. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, Nick Johnson. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. Um, it's funny. I had the exact same thought. I was looking around the room, and this is a very same room. Uh, I used to live up north. I lived in Iowa, Minnesota, all over the place. And I moved back to San Antonio because I loved the differentness of San Antonio. You know, we're such an eclectic city, and I was thinking the same thing. Like, you know, what would we do? Hopefully be very open to it. But if a bus from the east side of San Antonio every Sunday came here to worship with us, and, you know, I would love that. I grew up on that side of town, and I just, I don't know. I, I just have the same thought that she did about that, that that would be awesome, I think. I don't know. <laughs> well, how many of us in general in our lives have friends or people that we spend time with that are very different than us? Is that a common experience outside of the church in your own personal lives? Raise your hand if that's a common experience for you. Well, that's only because you're really different than everyone else. <laughs> so you don't count because he's the, he's, the, he's the different one. Good. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's read some more. Who would like to read the next uh, section right up through the word yikes? Yikes, yikes. Okay, Nick is going to. Where did we end up? We ended up right here. Where, no, 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 right here where it says the big book about the Okay. The big, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, says it this way. We found that God does not make too hard, too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, and inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. Social distinctions, petty rivalries, and jealousness, these are left out of continents. Excuse me. Being Being wrecked in the same vessel, being restored and united under one God. With the hearts and minds atoned to the welfare of of others, the things which matter so much to some people no longer signify much to them. How could they? Oh, I'm sorry. The truth the truth is, when we allow our social distinctions and lethargic requirements to limit people's access to the church, to Inclusion to relationships with us and with God, we are taking some dangerously arrogant steps. If God calls someone and they have the courage to answer that call, but we meet that answer with restrictions, requirements, and divisions, aren't we basically telling God that God got it wrong? Hey, God, we know you love to build your kingdom through the least of these, but we have we have got to say you really let this one slip through the cracks. <laughs> how did you miss that? This how did you how did you miss that this person was blank? Don't worry, God, we'll take care of it. 
We'll get them baptized through the membership class and into the Bible study. We will get them all straightened out. Yikes. And uh, who would like to? Who'd read, like to read the rest of this? Finish us off here. Yeah, Timothy always will. Thank you. Uh, oh, hi, my name is Timothy. Hi, Timothy. Our story and our faith tell us that God calls people into relationship. It is why we are all here right now. Paul says that answering that call and being encouraged, loved, and welcomed into that call is far more important than social or, or cultural status. We must resist what N.T. Wright calls the subtle and not-so-subtle pressures that are put on us to make a change of status our overarching goal. We know this. We know that we don't want people to abandon who they are in order to fit in. We know that we don't really want everyone to look, talk, think, and act the same way. We know that if we force everyone who answers the call to change into whatever we want them to be, we will end up with a bland, boring, monotonous church that does not challenge us or force us to consider a different idea, a different understanding, a different experience. We know that we need people to be who they are. It's the only way that we will be exposed to something new. It's the only way we can receive the unique gifts and expressions each one of us can offer. We know that you belong. And we know that you need to be, we know that we need you to be who God has called you to be. There are no, prereq- there are no prerequisites. Thank God for that. Right. Nick, you got anything else? Um, it's just, I don't know, it's, um, after reading that, you know, it's, it's awesome that we don't, you know, there are no prerequisites to get in here, and, uh, when I was reading that, we were reading that one part, um, you know, circumcision is nothing, I've, I'm imagining a, you know, 30-year-old guy that just converted to Christianity and just went through that, and now he's reading going, what? (laughs) But, um... I mean, that's awesome, you know. We, we don't have those prerequisites, and, you know, thank God for that. Good. Thank you. Timothy? Yeah, I'm still Timothy. Um, I love this. You know, I'm reminded of the scripture where uh, Jesus says, come unto me, you know. And I think uh, for me, personally, when he says come unto me, he didn't say, once you get cleaned up and get, get everything together, and once you start looking like everybody else does, then you can come unto me. I think he hit, the invite is for us to come as we are. Um, but also, you know, the, the part that stuck out to me, the, the, we know that if we force everyone who answers to be the same, we'll have this monotonous, homogenous thing that doesn't really, in my opinion, allow others to come in. Just, it says to, to, to the outside, if we don't look like that, then we're not welcome because everyone's the same. And um, I serve a big God, and he's also a welcoming God. He's also benevolent. And there are many colors and flavors to his family, and I'm really happy for that because I'm a little bit different myself. So I like the fact that I can be welcomed to be just who I am, not to have to be somebody else. Thank you. All right. Yes. Hello, I'm Janice. Hi, Janice. I have a, a, a question, and then I'll have a comment. Uh, earlier you talked about... Um, uh, relationships, and you said uh, there's a higher value than understanding. And do you remember you said this? Yeah, earlier you said there was a higher value in a, uh, a relationship. You were referring to spouses. There's a higher value than just the cultural standards that society would put on us. 
No, no. You said there's a higher value than understanding a person and you don't remember. Yeah, well, it's, it's a higher value than just understanding the cultural stuff that gets put on us. There's a, the value is that God has called us to, to be in relationship with people and to not just see the divisions that we... Okay. And then uh, the other thing is um, what I thought about is that I have um, uh, a child that, do, that believes in God but does not believe in organized religion uh, because uh, when she was in school, the very people that rejected her were, you know, those. And um, uh, what I have found in my prayer life is the wonderful ways uh, that God has interceded and been present to her where she is. And um, I find it easier to go to church to feel connected, but you can also have a rich spiritual life without it. So, anyway, my comments. Yeah, amen, that's for sure. All right? I'm Ellen. Hi, Ellen. This is really loud. Um, I just found it interesting... I'm currently listening to like a parenting lecture that Brene Brown did and she does for those that aren't familiar with her she does a lot of lots and lots of research on vulnerability and shame and how it affects people and what we need and um and so this was geared towards like the family unit and um I as um whoever was reading this part read it, I was like, that's exactly what I listened to yesterday. So it, I think that the, our family at home can mirror like what a church family could be like or should be like. Um, and she says, to, um, this is talking about like putting conditions on people or like everyone can come in, but unless, whatever, unless you don't have these things. Um, and she says that one of the biggest um, indicators of someone as they get older having a good relationship with their siblings and feeling very connected with their family is um, leaving if people can come home and even if they have like terrible um, outbursts or terrible whatever what we would consider terrible or like things that characteristics that aren't that favorable or um, it doesn't matter in the family that that person can come home and just be, like just be who they are. They don't have to um, hold back. They don't have to hold back opinions. They don't have to hold back anything because their family, they know, accepts them who they, for who they are. So I just think it's interesting that someone who spends their life researching this has found that that is, she just put a really heavy emphasis on, as parents, we should um, try and foster an environment between our children that we're not, because um, our kids, siblings know each other so well, they know what buttons to push, and they know exactly where their siblings are weak, and so leaving that out of our family unit, I think that that's really important in the church, too. Um, maybe we don't know each other as well as our siblings, but I think that we probably do know buttons to push and... Um, I just think that that's really interesting and something that maybe we need to think about. Thank you, Ellen. Beautiful. All right, this worship team comes up. Adam, would you... Uh
pray us out of this, please. Yes, I just want to say one last thing about it. Okay. Um, the title of this time to, this morning was about being who you are to be. And as we realize this, it changes the conversation from trying to know the right things or do the right things to asking the question that will really bring life to us, which is, who are you? And when we can learn to ask that question, not what are you doing right, what are you believing right, but who are you, that's when we really get to pursue the life in God, to discover who we are as God's children, and we can extend that to other people. Would you all pray with me? Living God, we thank you that you have made us who we are, and we thank you, God, that we're not a collection of our thoughts and our beliefs or our actions, but we are children of God, made by God. We are sons and daughters of God who have been set free by your love and given a life in your kingdom that far, far, it far, far is far greater than um, the sum total of what we could do or think. So I ask, living God, that you would stir us up today to know who we are and how deeply you love us. God, that you would break down the barriers inside of our own thinking that keep us from you and keep others from us. We love you, King Jesus. We bless you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.